Welcome to the Artist Impact Podcast, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. Here are your hosts, Paul Gibbs and Nate Miller. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Artist Impact Podcast. We're so glad to have you guys here. This is episode number 42, and we are glad to be back. We've been a little bit of a hiatus, been busy here in the studio, working both in the studio with artists and remotely. Um, Yeah, it's been busy, but uh, getting back to this, we love doing this for you guys, talking about music and music-related things to help you make a a bigger impact and a better impact with what you're doing and the way that God has blessed you in your music and your music ministry. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great. And uh, it's what we love to do. Yeah. All right. So um, we got a bunch of stuff here. We're going to talk about copyrights in just a few minutes. Uh, Who owns a copyright? What is a copyright? Do you need one? I don't know, <laughs> but there's a page, there's a page, piece of paper here that tells us all about it. Well, then it must be true. <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> and as we talked about last time, remember we we asked you guys, uh, or we told you guys, we're going to talk about uh, the, the question: Should you make CDs? <laughs> I mean, it's 2022, almost yeah, right. almost over. I mean, this modern day, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, cassettes are gone. Why? Eight tracks are done. All that stuff is gone. CDs, well, they've been around a long time. I feel like even download cards are gone. Everything's just ah, streaming now. Everything's streaming. So should you make CDs? Well, we'll talk about that. Maybe. Huh. Maybe. Okay. But if you don't stay tuned, you won't You won't find out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about improving your songwriting and... Uh, we'll talk about music distribution. Yeah. Um, can, will a company like CD Baby um, not only distribute your music, but will they also promote it for you? Hmm. Um, how what what exactly does a music distributor do do, and what don't they do for you? And um, building your online brand. If you guys haven't um, ventured into that, um, if you're just on social media, but maybe you don't have your own website, and you're interested hmm. in, do you need that? And how do you go about starting that? We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned with us for the whole thing here. Remember, you can always uh, rewind and play this again, view it again. Um, we're on all your all the famous, famous <laughs> or infamous, <laughs> infamous all the podcast sites. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, first things first. Um, we're we're in November here, and actually, we're recording this podcast today is November fifteenth. You know, a lot of things uh, important happened in November, and some things that weren't quite so important. Uh, in two thousand eighteen, did you know Roy Clark? Yeah, yeah, uh, he passed away. Oh, in two thousand eighteen, I didn't know he'd been go- gone that long. Huh. Oh, you guys remember Roy Clark? Uh, you may remember him as one of the stars, co-stars of Hee Haw. Yeah, my yeah. grandparents used to watch that. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I feel old. I used to, too. I mean, I used to suffer through it as they yeah. watched it. I didn't. I just didn't get it as a kid. <laughs> I know. And, and you know, I even I, I was, as a young adult, I mean, um, uh, he was, okay, that was 1969 uh, to 97. I didn't realize it went that long. I didn't either. But um, wow. I'm not even going to re- try to remember when I watched it. <laughs> but uh, what a musician this guy was. Mm. Man, he could play. I've seen some amazing guitarists uh, on Hee Haw. It was just uh, blowing my mind. Uh, and Buck Owens. Roy, Roy, Roy Clark and Buck Owens. Yeah. Um, but, you, but guys, you remember the uh, in 1969, he had a big hit. Hmm. Yeah. What was it? It was Yesterday When I Was Young. Okay. You guys remember that? Yesterday... When I was young, remember that? Yeah, it was a great song. Um, Probably his only, you know, hit, uh, you know, name commercial hit. Yeah, commercial hit. Right. So he died at age eighty-five, and he died in in two thousand eighteen. Wow. Uh, In two thousand fifteen, Miles Davis, great trumpet player. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, he was voted the greatest jazz artist of all time by listeners of uh, UK stations, BBC Radio, and Jazz FM. And other people that uh, were voted uh, similar, greatest great jazz artists were Louis Armstrong, Mm -hmm. Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, Charlie Parker, and of course, Billie Holiday. Ah, okay. Yeah. A couple more. All right, 2011, John Lennon. All right. Um, Card, (laughs) get this, a cardboard sign. Uh He he made his cardboard sign that read, Bed Peace. P-E-A-C-E, created by John Lennon for his 1969 Bed-In. 
Remember all those love-ins and, and all those in things in? Well, yeah, 1969, bed-in peace protest in Montreal. Well, that sign was sold by Christie's Auction House for to an anonymous telephone bidder for $155,000. A piece of cardboard. A piece of cardboard. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, I'm in the wrong business. Yeah. I mean, I've got some cardboard out in the garage. Anyway. Yeah. All right. And uh, finally, 1965, the Rolling Stones. You guys remember the show Hullabaloo? I mean, I, I know that by I name. Know yeah. By name. And yeah. I don't, I'm sure I probably watched it, but... Huh. I, I mean, Dick Clark's uh, dance, whatever. American Bandstand? American Bandstand was the one yeah. I remember. Right. Well, the Rolling Stones in 1965, they made their debut uh, in the U.S. on Hullabaloo. They performed Get Off My Cloud. Huh. Get Off of My Cloud. Yeah. And Hullabaloo was a, an American one-hour musical variety series, ran on NBC from 1965 huh. uh, through uh, January 65 through August of 66. And there you go. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, where did the Beatles make their U.S. debut? I, I don't I don't know. Wasn't that on the... Uh, Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan Show, Ed yeah. Ed Sullivan Show, yeah. Right so here, the, right now, for your very enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stones were on the Hullabaloo. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we, so we're talking about CDs. Oh, we're talking about CDs. What do you think? You I mean, we, my wife and I still have a huge CD collection, and uh-huh. she actually put them all, like, it's taken her a long time. She's ripped them all from the CDs onto the computer and then put them on a flash drive, which we can run in our car because right. our car stereos have a little USB stick that you can put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, you know, moved them to a different format, but we still have the physical CDs. Yeah. Yeah. They take yeah. up a lot of space, but. I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, uh, just guys behind. I haven't bought one in, in yeah. 15, 20 years. Yeah, I don't me, know. Me neither. Oh, me neither. Maybe 10. Yeah. Um, and I, I still uh, I still sell some when I do, when I go out and do a concert. I sell. Yeah. I, it, uh, it's, um, shall we say, the older generation that is buying the CDs. I wonder, are CD players still being made and, and they made, are readily made available? Definitely being made. You can find those. Just go on Amazon. You'll find CD players. Okay. But uh, cars, they're not putting them in cars anymore, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> but um, And what did we say last time? CDs have been out, is it 30 years? I think it was 30, yeah. not in the 80s, right? Yeah, I think we Sony talked about or that. Japan or something was the first one to right. come up with the technology, yeah. Well, you guys, if you're thinking about doing an album or you're you're in the process of doing one or an EP, now EP may be not quite so, eh, you know, EP, I guess, mostly re- uh, release online. But if you're going to do a full CD, and we're working with an artist right now mm-hmm. that is uh, two of them, actually, that yeah. are going to do full CDs, and they're going to have CDs made. Right. Okay, so um, in 2021, last year, CD sales grew. I think we told you this before, but I'm going to read. It's worth repeating. Yeah. They grew for the first time in 17 years. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so should you buy? Excuse, I'm sorry. Should you have CDs made if you are an indie artist? Right. Well, uh, yeah, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> Short I mean, answer is yes. <laughs> some, I guess we're done. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so here's here's five. How many five? Five reasons. Okay, real quick. Uh, if you're t- especially guys, if you're out there touring, I mean, mm. we now one of our artists will not be touring, will not be doing live performances, but she wants to have CDs to to give and to sell to family, friends, and whoever. Right. Uh, another guy that we're working with, he, his plan is to go out and sing at churches and other Christian venues, where he will he he's, he's going to be asked. There people are going to say, "Hey, have you got CDs?" Right. and he wants to have them available. So it's a great touring or concert and or concert revenue source. Mm -hmm. CD sales are still an important source of revenue during concerts. That's what people are still, especially, I don't know what age group would you say, maybe 40 and up, 50 and up maybe. Mm -hmm. And those people are going out to concerts, especially if you're a Christian artist. Those people are coming out to see you. So uh, they want to buy CDs. Um, you know, during the pandemic, of course, uh, pandemic, the uh, concert uh, CD sales really kind of dropped. But hmm. uh, we're coming out of that now, and it's according to this article, it's time to bring those boxes of CDs out and get them for sale. 
uh, you're gonna you're gonna make. I mean, you know, if if you sell three or four, you know, mm-hmm. you might sell ten, you might sell twenty, but you know what? It all it all helps, and people are taking some of you and your music home with them. I think that's the thing. I think something having something physical yeah. to hold in your hand exactly. to remember and to take it home and to, to like own it. Like yep. with all the digital stuff, it's just ones and zeros flying through the air. Like you don't physically own yep. a part of the art, but if you have a, a CD with the artwork and everything, that's right. there's just something about that. There is something about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, number two, online sales are an important source of income. Uh, but streaming, the, the numbers of streams and downloads, of course, have increased for many artists. Uh, but similarly, CDs and even vinyl, guys, mm-hmm. uh, sales have also continued. So, uh, you know, piggybacking on, on our number on number one, uh, online sales became a significant source of revenue for many artists. But at CDs were no exception to the boom in hmm. these sales during that time. Uh, number three, and I, this is kind of cool. Uh, I, even though the uh, CDs players have kind of disappeared from the newer cars, not everybody's driving a new car these days, guys. <laughs> uh, so, so CDs uh, maybe have disappeared from our laptops and the computers and our home systems, but a lot of cars still have cd players and a lot of people listen to a lot of music on them uh you know especially on long trips just pop a cd in and uh you know something about there's something special still guys about listening to a whole album right by one artist yeah instead of you know you can say all you want about the playlist and all this other stuff well i like this man you know but that listening to a whole album and and the great thing about cds you don't have to turn them over <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, auto reverse cassettes. Anybody remember those? Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, it's nice to look, like Nate just said, it's great to look at the artwork. Yeah, the liner notes and all yeah, that stuff. You yeah, you go do a, do a great picture on there, guys. Yeah. And have a physical copy mm-hmm. that they can hold in their hand. Um, and that's uh, probably uh, one of the reasons that vinyl is making a comeback because people like to have that. And there's a sense of nostalgia there, too. There is. And, you know, I know I've seen people put the um, vinyl album covers, whether the, the record is in there or not, but th- they make picture frames for them to hang on your wall. Right. And that that's great if you have a, like a music room or an entertainment room or something. Mm-hmm. Um, looks great on the wall for artwork. It yeah. does. It does. Yeah. I was in a house just a couple of weeks ago that had albums all over that's the... That's cool. Yeah, so uh, you're getting the album artwork, reading the lyrics, you know, mm-hmm. putting them in the corner of your living room, like you said. Yeah. Uh, vinyl is great for that. But, you know, some people just, the, the CDs, uh, well, more affordable. You ever tried to, if you tried to buy an album lately? Oh, my goodness, $25, I, $30. I haven't even looked at what they cost. Oh, $25, 30 bucks for an album. Wow. Anyway, um, CDs are more mobile, of course, mm. and you can just kind of throw them in your backpack, travel with them. They make great coasters. They make great coasters, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, finally, believe it or not, radio campaigns, radio campaigns are using CDs. A great reason to create hmm. CDs of your new release is for pitching to radio stations. I would not have thought this, no. but it says, despite operating digitally today, many radio stations still prefer CDs when they're pitched new songs or albums. Um, some radio, station, radio stations do accept digital copies, but major radio stations will want to have CDs submitted for pitching new songs on their airstreams. Hmm. Um, and some music magazines also. I don't know if you still people still submit to music magazines, but uh, they... That's a good point. Yeah. So there are five reasons why you should create CDs for your releases. Now, granted, CDs are no longer going to sell millions of copies. Okay, we get that. They're not the mainstream form of releasing your music anymore, but people still buy them. And as long as there are people buying them, guys, there is still a chance of revenue for you. All Hmm. right, so take a look at... uh, the options for making physical CDs next time you release some music, okay? Don't throw the CDs out just yet. Right. Yes. So right on the heels of that, talking about CDs, we're going to talk about CD Baby. Um, this article comes from our friend our, over there, Tony Van Veen. He's the CEO of uh, Disc Makers. And um, we, we read a lot of articles from their, their blog. Great mm-hmm. stuff out there for musicians. If you haven't checked it out, you're a DIY musician. Check out the blog over at CD Baby. How many any of you musicians out there that have uh, sent your music to CD Baby? Anybody use them for distributors? So actually, here in the studio, Notespire Music, we we use them. We 
and, and we also recommend artists if they're going to do their own distribution mm-hmm. to submit it to CD Baby. One of the great things about that is that they will distribute your music to all the other platforms, mm-hmm. um, Amazon, iTunes, um, Spotify, Spotify, like any uh, the major platforms where you expect to find digital music. If you submit your music to CD Baby, go through their little process, they'll distribute it to all those places for you. There are other other companies that do the same sure. thing, DistroKid and others. And CD Baby does not pay us to say this, but right. we just use them. We're just so we're just going to throw that out. Yeah, there. So this is something we're familiar with, we're comfortable yeah. with, we've had success with. Yep. And um, so we use them. So here's the thing, though. Um, this article is pretty interesting, and I never thought about this angle. And, and maybe there's some confusion out there. There certainly is. If Tony um, <laughs> wrote this article, but uh, he says, are you frustrated because your distributor isn't doing enough to promote your music? The problem isn't your distributor. It's your expectations and understanding of who is responsible for driving demand by your product mm-hmm. uh, for your product. Yeah. So there must be some some gray area or some questions there for people who do distri- or sorry, submit their, their music to um, things like CD Baby or DistroKid or TuneCore. These just dis- distribution companies, and they expect not only from them, them to distribute their music to all these different platforms, but they're expecting um, CD Baby or Tune um, TuneCore to actually promote their music. Prom- promote them, and uh, that's actually not what they're about. That's not what right. they're for. So, if you thought that, or if you had a question about that, that's kind of what this article is explaining. So, Tony said that one of the biggest questions he often got um, at like um, uh, different like conferences and stuff were questions like this, like, why won't CD Baby promote my music? Or how am I supposed to get noticed if CD Baby won't promote my music? <laughs> or I'm not getting any streams, CD Baby sucks. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're putting the blame on the, this distribution yeah. company, but they're just misunderstanding yeah. what they're about. So if you, if you thought that about CD Baby, or if you were thinking about um, using them, listen up to this. This is just going to explain the distinction for what, what they do and what they don't for you. So what is the role of a music distributor? So let's get clear on the role of a music distributor. The distributor's main role is to get your music to the marketplace and make it available to people who want to buy it or stream it on the hundreds of streaming and download services around the world. So they're going to put it out there on all those things that we talked about, iTunes and um, Spotify, so that people are able to stream it and download it um, if they want. They're also going for physical distribution, distribution. That means they make it available to retailers, which mainly means physical record stores. But in the digital age, that mostly means retail platforms on their online network. So they're going to send it to places where people can purchase your music. So they will distribute your music both di- digitally and physically. Um, but that's pretty much where their responsibility ends. The distribu- distributor is also responsible for sales and royalty reporting. And for paying you in a timely manner, and then that's it. So they will pay you for the royalties for um, the, the streams that you get, but they're not going to promote your work. That's not what they're they're for. Right. So that's the big the big point of this article. Your distributor won't promote you. The distributor is not responsible for creating demand for your music. They provide the infrastructure. Let's call it a pipeline network. He says, but it's not responsible for making sure that the people that stream your music once they've delivered it to those sites, um, hear it. So that's re- that, that, responsi- res- that responsibility for creating the demand for your music lies with only one person. Guess what? That's you. <laughs> the people who are listening to this podcast and those of you that are watching this on YouTube right now, you need to create the demand for your very own music. You are responsible for creating the demand for your music. You're lucky that... Um, or he says, if you're on a label, you're lucky that they will also assume partial responsibility for creating that demand. But mostly, it's on, it's on you, even if you, um, you're signed to a label. Here's a good little part of this article. I'm going to read this in, in whole here. He says, you have to create songs so great that people will want to listen to them over and over again. You have to perform shows so awesome that people will talk about them and will want to come and see you again in the future. You have to do the blocking and tackling and networking to build a fan list one person at a time through social media, email, and your website, and your live shows. You have to hit the road and perform with other bands so your fans get to know you. You have to submit your songs for playlist consideration. All those things that Tony just mentioned, those are on you. That's not done by a distribution company. You are the ultimate stakeholder in your um, your music and your promotion. You probably need to spend some money on marketing and PR and online advertising. 
um, not just distributing your music to these platforms. Here's the thing. Nobody has more at stake with your music than you do. You are ultimately responsible for everything. So what do you do? You got to research and promote it. Creating, creating demand for your music is quite possibly the most important of these responsibilities. Unless, of course, you do music just for the creative expression, which is fine, and you don't care about streams or sales or commercial success. But if you do, if you want commercial success as a musician, creating that demand is your responsibility. And if you don't know how to create that demand, there are lots of resources out there online. The internet is your, your friend. <laughs> you know, just do Google searches, check on YouTube, and look um, for how to create demand for your music, and you'll find lots of great resources. Mm-hmm. Some of those resources include blogs, like the one that we're reading this article from, um, industry newsletters, music conferences, other musicians that you might know, and even companies you pay to do your marketing and PR to help you grow your fan base and create additional demand for your music. So that's how he ends it. And I I think um, in a way, this is kind of like his way of helping to draw a distinction for his own company, CD Baby. And um, just to to create a little knowledge there for people who might be confused about that. Yeah. And um, the, but the one thing he did mention there at the end, companies that you pay to do marketing and PR to help grow your fan base, maybe a little shameless plug here, but I did want to mention this to our, our listeners and our viewers we are one of those companies. If, if you need help in um, promoting your music and getting it out there, it might already be out there on these social media platforms. You might have even used um, CD Baby or DistroKid or TuneCore. So you're on all these streaming platforms, but it's not getting, they're not getting streams. They're not getting hits. They're not getting heard. Um, reach out to us if you need help mm-hmm. to learn how to better promote your music. We have our own resources and channels here at Notespire Music, um, including Notespire Radio, the Just Got Music Hour podcast. We also um, help with digital marketing services. We have a team that helps to do that. And so if you need help with your music, reach out to us. Info at notespiremusic.com. Um, go to our website, notespiremusic.com. Reach out to us and we'll, you know, we'll talk, we'll dialogue, we'll find out what your needs are and see if we can help you to do just that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, that's what we're here for, friends, to help you do what God has called you to do. That's what we're called to do. Yeah. yeah. So get in, get in touch with us. All right, so we're going to take a quick pause here. Uh, we're going to talk about copyrights in just a second, uh, improving your songwriting through some critical listening. Mm. What's that all about? Yeah. Mm. And, of course, we ha- always have to fill your heads filled full of other stuff which we're going to do in just a minute (laughs) right we'll be right back after this all of the podcasts produced at notespire music as well as portions of the programming on wnsm db notespire radio are sponsored by mts management group specializing in full service artist management publicity and promotion and social media campaigns mts management is on the cutting edge of today's new music business to learn more visit mtsmanagementgroup.com mts where indie artists go for major coverage and by singer songwriter worship leader and author pauline williams her latest devotional book is called road to life and you can hear Pauline's podcast, The Daily Walk, on your favorite podcast site. Find out more at her website, paulinesmusic.com. That's paulinesmusic.com. We thank these folks for their partnership and support. To find out how you can advance your impact by becoming a sponsor of Notespire Music, visit our website at notespiremusic.com. And now, from a basement somewhere in Pennsylvania, the Artist Impact Podcast. Here are your hosts, Paul Gibbs and Nate Miller. And we are back. Yeah. How are you guys doing? We forgot to ask you this at the beginning. Is everybody doing okay? Wherever and wherever you're watching, listening, and whenever it happens to be. I hope that you're doing okay. We're coming into the holiday season, mm-hmm. the Advent season, and... Uh, you know, it's a joyous time of year. We, uh, we oh, we forgot to mention that uh, on our radio station, Notes by our Radio, we will be starting to play Christmas and holiday music uh, on the first of December, right up through the end of December. Send us your music, by the way. Email uh, notespire info at notespire music. We want we want your music. Okay, um, so we hope you're doing well. We do we do. Yeah. Um, so. 
some great stuff here for you, folks. You grab, you got your pencil. Grab, write this stuff down. Okay. Um, did you ever read Moby Dick? I don't think I did. No. No. no? no. Okay. Me neither. Call call me. Ishmael. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only part of it I know. And there was a whale. Okay. Well, <laughs> Herman Melville. <laughs> Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick, and you know he died in in uh, 1891. It's an old book. Wow. Well, um, after he died, Moby Dick was reprinted, and this time around, uh, critics started to take it more seriously because you know. Um, he actually wrote it in 1851, and it was initially considered a big flop. Nobody Isn't can that always the case. Things that always yeah. become popular posthumously. Yeah, later on. <laughs> yep. Now it's considered to be one of the great American literary classics. classics. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. If you want your your music to be popular, <laughs> you got to pass away first, well, <laughs> or, or fake your own death, or something. Or if it. <laughs> Or if it's not popular now, don't lose hope, okay? Yeah. Because after you're gone. Then it'll be gone. Then it'll be, Then yeah. you'll be a star. Exactly. All right. <laughs> well, let's see, you know, a bunt, you like bunt cakes, guys? Bunt, <laughs> bunt cake is derived from a type of European cake called the Gugelhupf. I'm not going to say that again. Nash, today, <laughs> November 15th, which is actually today as we're recording it, uh, recording this, National Bunt Day celebrates this cake's popularity, which There's began in 1966 when Ella Helfrich, yeah, she won the Pillsbury Bake Off hmm. with her Tunnel of Fudge Ooh, Bunt Cake. That does sound amazing. Ooh, that does sound good. How many of you are gonna, might want to add that to the Thanksgiving menu? Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, Mr. Livingstone, or Dr. Livingstone, I presume. Uh, mm-hmm. at the end of his great journey in 1855, David Livingstone arrived at a thundering falls on the Zambezi River, mm-hmm. and he named the falls Victoria Falls after mm-hmm. his queen. Queen Victoria, right? Yes, Queen Victoria. Victoria Falls is twice as wide and twice as deep as Niagara Falls and spans 5,500 feet across. I'm not really interested in that, but this one might <laughs> this one might be of interest. Um, Doug Engelbart, Doug Engelbart, ever heard Is of him? Related to Engelbert Humperdinck? No, well, <laughs> they might have been related. Uh, Doug Engelbart, he is known as the father of the mouse, and we're not talking about Mickey. That was that was Walt. Oh, we're talking about this. We are talking about that. Oh. He received a patent for the first computer mouse. Uh, November, uh, November 17th in 1970. Wow. Wow. It occurred to him that by using a small pair of wheels traversing a tabletop, the computer could track their rotations and move the cursor across the display. Imagine that. What did they do before that? Oh, they had a keyboard. So you just said like the arrow buttons, I guess. I yeah, just the arrow buttons. You You probably never used DOS, did you? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with it. I just, I didn't... Yeah. He's, he's not as he's not as old as some of us. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh, you have so, to do all those commands and prompts and stuff. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. No yes. thanks. Oh, that's a, yeah. I, I hear you. Uh, let's see. Um, if you take a trip on a Trans-Siberian railway, and I know oh, a few orchestra. of you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think they play. Yeah. They're they're, they're the entertainment. The Trans-Siberian <laughs> railway. How many, you you guys have been on that, right? <laughs> No, me neither. Um, Sounds cold. It it crosses, wow, get this, it goes across 3,901 bridges. Oh, my goodness. How does that not freeze over? Oh, my word. Wow. Over 3,900 bridges. Can't imagine the maintenance on that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, to put all those, yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I got for you, except something that's really important. Now, let's get to this now. Our our, our podcastly... Verse. I made, I made that up. Psalm 91, verse 4. Of course, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Amen. Mm. Psalm 91, verse 4. Okay, let's get to copyright stuff. You guys, uh, how many of you write your own music? Yes? Okay, right. And <laughs> you have you copyrighted it? Or you, maybe you're not sure how to copyright it? Maybe you've just put a copy in on a on a cassette tape or a piece of sheet of music or a CD or an MP3 or whatever, and you've sent it to the Library of Congress. Okay, some of you have done that. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I understand that. Some of you believe, 
and it's not I'm not saying it's not true that once you write the song, once you create that song, it is copyrighted. Now you may have to prove that, mm-hmm. but it is copyrighted. Right. Okay. But who owns the copyright? Hmm. Well, in simplest terms, of course, you or I or Nate, we write a song individually, we own the copyright. The person that writes the song. It's your intellectual property. Each hip, you own the copyright. Okay, that's the very simple version. But what about if two people write the song? Okay, well, again, it's a simple answer. If both contribute pretty much equally, uh, and there's no written agreement of, okay, I'm three quarters and you're one quarter, whatever. If you just both kind of work on the song, and and then you just, so you both own 50%. That's, again, that's all. But now it gets more complicated. So yeah. I just want to get—I want to go a couple steps further, not dive too deep into this. If you got further questions, please email us or leave a comment below the video here and ask if say if you got a question or a comment on copyright, we'd love to hear it. So, um, so a couple questions that need to be answered um, and asked: How many people were involved in the writing process? Mm-hmm. Okay, were there other people? Did you hire a producer? Mm. Was there a producer for the song? Right. Did you use other background vocal vocalists or other musicians in the in the recording process? Okay, and the the question that goes with that: Did those people? Uh, did they just offer opinions? Did they did they just did the musicians just play, or did these people and the producer, etc., did they all contribute to the creation of the song? That has to be has to be answered. Um, so in general, the individual who writes or records an original song owns the copyright of the musical work or the sound recording. Uh, so it's common that uh, for two or more individuals to be involved and co-authors of a song then co-own the copyright of that work. Okay, and again, like I said, if, if there's no individual pre-agreement as to percentages, then everybody owns an equal share. Basically, okay. So um, now it goes. Let's go one step deeper. When an individual is an author of the of the uh, of the work of the song, uh, whether and it depends on whether the individual has control. All right. So this goes a little. This goes a little further. Um, let's say I'm writing. I'm writing a song. And I asked Nate to make uh, to to do uh, I want to write one of the verses, mm. but I don't like really what he wrote, or I, I have suggestions, and I'm I have the final say mm. of what that verse says or what the chord structure of the song is. That means I generally have control of the song, so, and I'm just asking Nate to help. If if I have the ultimate control of how the original or how the final product is, then I'm the owner of the song. But if we if we contribute equally, then as we said, we're co-owners of the song. Um, let's see. Like going uh, and, and let's go. Let's go. Just one final step on this. I'm I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but yeah. uh, there is such a thing. Maybe you've heard this term: work for hire. Mm-hmm. Now we have a client that has come to us with, for example, he comes to us with lyrics. He does not write music. He asks us to write the music. We write the music for him. And then he he has control over the final product. That means our client is the owner of the copyright. We have simply, he has simply hired us right. to write the music. So it's a one-time fee for us to, to add our part to it, but then we right. relinquish all control back to the yeah. author of the song. Back to the author of the song. Yeah. And uh, so we'll, we'll kind of, so in the case of a work for hire, the employer or the person doing the hiring, not the individual writer, <laughs> is the author and owns the copyright. If you If you do some research and go back into the 40s and 50s, way back, that was very often the the publishing companies, the record companies, the were, would very often hire yeah. hire writers to write songs for them, maybe for a movie movie uh, soundtrack or something like that. 
the company would hire the songwriters. The songwriters did not own the songs; the the company did. So yeah. that was. Uh, and if you so again, I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of stop it there. If you have further questions on that, you can do your own research, or please do uh, reach out to us, and we will be happy to uh, dig a little deeper into that. Maybe you're in the process right now of writing a song. Maybe you're co-writing a song with somebody, and you say, "Oh yeah." You know, I didn't think about that. Who own, uh, who's gonna? Who owns the copyright? Who's who's? If this thing know? blows up and becomes a hit, what? yeah, <laughs> who gets yeah. compensation here? Right. So, uh, yeah. So, if you got more more questions on that, on copywriting, and uh, should you should you send your music into the Library of Congress? How do you go about copywriting it? Any questions on it? Please do get it in touch with us. Info at notespiremusic.com or leave a comment. You know where here down down there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you really want to do songwriting or? Oh, I think it's your turn. I got. I need. A, I need some coffee. Okay. Right, go ahead. So we talked earlier about CDs. Should you make CDs? We said the short answer is yes. They they're still viable. Actually, still fairly popular. We talked about CD Baby, who will make CDs for you. Like you send your music in, they'll print the CDs for you, and they'll distribute your music both um, digitally and physically. But they're not going to promote your music for you. So. The next step, if you haven't done this yet, is mm. you got to get out there online and promote your music. Yeah. So um, some of you guys are using existing social media platforms such as Facebook, um, Instagram. Um, I, there's several other ones out there. Um, Reverb Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, plenty of them out there that you guys can use. And they're okay, but you can go further than just using these kind of pre-existing um platforms they go they do a lot for you but here's an example i know i look up businesses online trying to find their website i'll find a facebook page for them mm-hmm. they don't have like their their hours of business or something a little bit about them but they don't have their own website right and it can get right. frustrating because you can't find the information that you need you guys find that you out? gotta yep. sift through whatever facebook will show you or yep. what yep. little information about the place is on facebook so there's a kind of an example there's limitations to the ones that are out there so this article is by Robert Brandel, he says, um, to be successful, you need to establish a strong online music brand, no matter what kind of music you're creating. Here are five things you need to consider when building yours. So if you're going to promote yourself online, promote your music beyond just using these pre-existing kind of cookie cutter um, social media platforms out there, here are five things to think about. Um, One, build an artist's website. Yes, musicians can use many online platforms. We talked about some. But having a website, a dedicated website, is crucial. Your website address is truly yours, and it cannot get canceled, shut down, or suspended like social media platforms can. Um, A website allows you to have total control over your fans' experience. It's also an an artist's website simply gives you more control and, and independence in what you share with your fans and what they see and mm-hmm. what they have access to. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you're going to need to create your own freestanding personal or band website, mus- musician website, is a website builder. Um, there, there are even specialized website builders out there for musicians like Bandzoogle and Bandvista. Um, you can look at Squarespace. Um, what's the other one? Web... Uh, Picks or something like that. There, there are tons of them out there. You guys know. So you, you don't have to spend tons of money on building a site from scratch or learning coding or anything like that. Right. You can do it in a couple of hours using a website builder without any previous experience. So you know, take advantage of these these website hosts out there that will create websites for you. With they have um, tools and templates that you can pick from and really kind of customize to make exactly what you want within the limitations of the ones that they provide for you. But you have much more freedom um, and ability to create it the way you want it to look than you do on, say, Facebook or Instagram. People, um, may, people may find you on Facebook or Instagram, and then you, if, if they, I mean, that's fine, but right. then that should, that should take, if they find you on Facebook, they should there be should able should be to a look, link to your website to your, from to there. To your website from there, right? Yeah. So you're going to need a domain name and an email address. Your site's unique address is how people will access your webs your website, and creating a suitable do- domain name gives your site credibility and improves the, the visibility of your music brand online. Mm-hmm. Um, people will remember your name and find your site much more easily. So rather than doing a random search for your band and finding a couple hits on you know here's a couple Instagram photos or oh well, they, it looks like they have a Facebook page, you're gonna have a dedicated website 
that people will look up and find and all your information is going to be there. You know, your band photos, your band bio, um, your events, where you're playing, access to merch if you haven't, um, anything you can think of, videos, sound bites. It's all there in one Mm -hmm. place and you have complete control over it. Um, You can also use a custom email address most of the time if you have your domain. So, So, for example, it might be like ours, info at notespiremusic.com. We have the domain name, notespiremusic.com. Our, our email is info at. You can have a customized email if you create your domain name. Your custom domain name also lets you rank your website for the right keywords and get better rankings in search results. So here's another thing, um, search engine optimization. If people do a quick Google search for you, if you have a website, you're going to come up higher in the Google results yeah. um, than you will if you just have a Facebook page. Definitely. So it definitely is going to push you up in search results. It lets you secure your website if you change hosting providers, move or switch your CMS, which is a content management system. So as long as you own that domain, if you ever have to change to a different um, web host, you own that address. It, it's going to stay with you. Which could just throw in, it, yeah. you might want to start, you know, if the budget's low, you can start with the free ones or very cheap. Right. Okay. You get that domain name that belongs to you. If you want to switch that, for example, to, to like maybe to Squarespace later on, which is more money mm-hmm. when you can afford it, you can take that domain name with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it remains a unique address that's always going to stay with you. Right. Number two, he says, is to define your visual identity. Visuals often drive people to engage with a brand and get them invested. In fact, he says, music lovers will often find new music through enticing videos. It's not always your music that makes the first impression. So think about visually what you look like. Um, Everything from your appearance, your stage presence, um, what graphics you're using, animations, what type of visuals are in your your music videos. Um, He brings up a good point. He says, there are so many artists, producers, and musicians competing for your attention online. Fans want more than music. They want cover art, posters, photos, videos, and merch. We just talked about CDs and how people want to take home a physical album, something with artwork and liner notes, and um, something that they can hold on to. Um, That's all about your visual identity. So how do you go about creating your visual identity? Your visual identity starts with how you look and what you wear. So creating a logo and artwork... You might want to consider hiring a photographer or a graphic designer when adding visuals to your website. You want to put the best things out there. Um, You can create stuff in Microsoft Paint, but it is not going to look good, and it's going to look um, cheap and amateurish, and that's the worst thing that you want to put out there. If you're going to invest in creating a website and creating a brand for your music, you you really want to put a little bit of money into this, um, a little bit of... um, work or if you know somebody who's a graphic designer or a friend get them to help you um because this is what's going to represent you right out there online for all the world to see when when they first find you first impression is going to be what they see whether it's a photo or a graphic or uh, a logo so make, put the put your best foot forward um all of your site's logos colors fonts and animations should look as professional as possible and here's another thing to consider it's not just having professionally made and quality visuals, but consider your audience and the genre and the subculture of the music that, you, that you're writing and performing. Mm-hmm. It's about having the right visuals, he says. Knowing your music genre and scene and the fans who love it. Study what success, other successful acts are doing and learn what people care about. There's all kinds of things that are sort of characteristic to your genre of music. If you're a Christian musician, say, versus like a hardcore metal musician you're going to see different fonts different visuals different um outfits that you wear different ways of presenting your music so kind of be aware of what fits your genre the music that you're trying to share and also the audience that's going to be looking for that music make sure your visuals that you put on online on your website and everywhere are going to match so that there's no like disconnect people aren't confused by what they see right right Number three, create your brand voice and nurture it, he says. Your brand voice is basically your personality as an artist or a group. The brand voice affects everything from your tone and your attitude, the messages you are sending out, and how you behave on stage, and what you say in your songs. So the first thing you need to do is to explain the why, how, and what behind your brand. So why do you compose and and publish the, the music that you play? 
How does the music affect and drive you? And what music do you like and play? So this is all about like defining your voice. You know, we, we target primarily the independent Christian musicians. So think about the message behind the music that you're performing. You have a message behind those lyrics. There's a reason that you're writing these songs and you have, uh, you have someone in mind when you're writing this and putting it out there that you want someone specific to hear this or at least a mm. specific message to get across. So think about that um, when you're presenting this music and how you present it. Make sure that ma- message or that matches with the message that you're trying to share. Ideally, your messaging, visuals, and brand identity should all complement one another. I and mean, it just makes sense. Why, why fight yourself? Number four, be consistent. This is really important. If you're yeah. going to use visuals, logos, anything like, mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. use the same thing across all brand platforms. Whether you're only on um, social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, um, we're mentioning those two specifically, Bandcamp, uh, Reverb Nation, but make sure you use the same thing everywhere so that people aren't always searching and confused. Is this the same band or not? Yeah. They should be able to recognize you right away right. by what they're seeing. Um, so once you've established your brand, to achieve this, you have to be consistent in exploiting your core brand elements, including your brand tone, your brand messaging, mm-hmm. brand voice, visual elements, um, slogans and catchphrases, signature moves on stage, in other words, your stage presence, and your unique songwriting elements. These are all things that kind of you want to kind of tie together and make sure they're consistent. So every artist should be specific and know exactly what they want to present. On top of that, they should find the right tools and words to communicate their brand at any given moment. So I know this is getting in the, into the nitty-gritty and the detail, but you really want to put some thought into this. If you're going to create yeah. your own freestanding website, again, you have complete control over your fan experience, um, what information they have access to, and so you don't have to rely on just whatever social media provides you with. You can create and vis- all the visuals yourself and tailor them exactly to your message and make sure your voice is being clearly um, expressed and shared. Number five, finally, stay engaged with the people in the scene. Modern artists have access to a host of platforms, digital services, and online marketing channels. However, the music industry has always been about networking Mm. with the right people and creating genuine connections with both your fans and the key players in the scene. um, Very important. Networking will get you very far. If If you haven't started it yet, you don't know about it, start looking into that, researching it, learning what goes into networking. Um, making the right connections helps you spread brand awareness and get more exposure while opening up new opportunities. At the same time, networking allows artists to collaborate with other musicians and draw similarities between brands. So if you have another band that you know or you find another band that's similar to you, a fan base that would love your music, network with those with those guys or with that other musician. Try to make connections with them because th- there's going to be crossover between their fan base and yours or their their listeners and their their viewers and their fans. So you can kind of share those. Working with the right people at the right time gives your brand further depth. Always talk to promoters, managers, producers, and other artists. Try to connect with them and show genuine interest in their work. That's how you can open up opportunities that you never thought possible. On the other hand, it's also essential to make the most out of the internet. Okay, so you're doing this to have your own freestanding website to promote your music, but also make use of the stuff that's already out there that probably you guys already are using. Um, use social media to share your brand materials, answer messages with your brand's voice, and engage your fans in conversation. So again, we hope that you guys are utilizing the stuff that's already out there, all the the pre-existing social media platforms. But if you haven't ventured out into promoting your, your work online yourself, um, look into it. it. It's really important, even in these days, to have your own um, pre-existing um, dedicated band website if you need help in learning how to do that um, how to get started again reach out to us we can help you with that info at notespiremusic.com we would love to answer questions or sit down and work out a plan to help you guys make that a reality yeah yeah website notespiremusic.com it kind of outlines different things that we do and maybe yeah. some, some suggestions for you there I love what you said about consistency and we've yeah. talked about that so many times uh, being consistent and I'm going I'm to throw this in there guys because I, I, I just can't not do it <laughs> <laughs> you get that website set up and, and so many of us are guilty of this myself mm. included 
you get that website made. It's almost it's it's awesome. You got all that stuff on there, and then you don't th- update it. Three months later, it's exactly the same. This guy hasn't uh, been active in six months. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So uh, yeah, and we're all guilty of that. Yeah. I, I I do know that. But uh, all right. So let's for our final topic here this time: um, improving your songwriting through critical listening. Mm. And, uh, you know, when, when I saw this, it kind of like, okay, what is critical right. listening? Everybody's a critic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's run through this real quick. And again, we won't dive too deep into this, guys, but I hope that you will get something out of this um, to help you in your, your songwriting. So if you're a songwriter and you're trying to impre- improve your craft, of course, constant, consistently, there's that word again, yeah. consistently making music is just one part of that equation. Listening closely to the music that you hear is one of the most powerful ways to write better music. Hmm. And I'm going to say right up front, I'm using my words, um, don't stay in your box. Yeah. Don't stay in that box. You don't write just one style of song, one way, one style of lyric, one one chord set. Okay, all right. This is going to inter- encourage all of us to get out of our boxes <laughs> and in in that way to in- increase and in- in improve what we do. Yeah. Uh, so every, every time you listen to music, and I'm not talking about just I'm not talking about your own guys. I'm talking about other other music. Right. You have the opportunity to learn something that you can apply to your work. For example, de- detail what you like mm. and what you don't like in the music that you hear. You know, we all have our preferences, right? Uh, you, you probably maybe listen to maybe one style. Maybe you listen to music that kind of like the style that you write, all right? But you are might be missing out on a valuable opportunity to hone your craft some more if you just stop at your at one style, or if you stop at your initial reaction to the song. In other words, you hear something on on the radio, you hear something, whatever, wherever, and you you have you form an opinion. Yes, I like that. No, I don't like mm-hmm. that. Especially if you say, no, I don't like that. So you turn it off. But why don't you like it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, or you just move on to the next song without saying, well, wait a minute. Okay, so let's dive a little deeper. So if something moves you in a mm-hmm. song, however that move may be, <laughs> take its form, find out exactly why. Yeah. Why does that move you? And apply that to your own work. So this is kind of like music appreciation. I don't know if they still it, have classes on it, that or not. Music but... appreciation 101. Here yeah. we go. So, uh, if like if like we said, if you stumble across the music that you don't re- you really don't like, all right, well learn exactly why you feel that way, and then and avoid. Then, yeah, don't use that in your music. Don't do that in your music. <laughs> <laughs> that may be like a duh, but mm. you know it's uh, it's something worth saying. So make a habit of doing this whenever you listen to music, and you're going to find a constant source of inspiration in many forms of inspiration for your yeah. songs and awareness of how music works. All right. And what to do and what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and here, okay, we're going to dive a little deeper now. Practice mentally mapping out. Mm. This this is key, yeah. Mapping out the songs that you hear. Yes. What does that mean? This is a great way to learn how to ah. write songs. So every song you listen to is an opportunity to map that song that you're listening to, map it out. Which okay, what does that mean? Well, you that means you separate the musical features of the song. For example, what instruments are used? Mm-hmm. What's the tempo of the song? What pitch? What key is it in? Uh, how is it produced? What instruments are used? What's the style? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Now we know it's awful easy to get overwhelmed by a piece of music. All right. And say, okay, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't pick that apart. That's, that's too, okay. But just try to focus on understanding the inner workings of the song. Now, this takes some practice, Mm -hmm. okay? You're not going to do this perfectly on the first song you hear. But the more you try mapping out, just try to understand how songs are constructed and what they're constructed with, okay? That's that's what we're talking about. Chime in here. Yeah. There's a, there are, um, if you're having trouble learning how to do, get started learning how to do this, there's a lot of um, channels on YouTube that actually do this. But one that stands out to mind, and we both watched some of these yeah. videos, Rick Beato, his um, YouTube channel, he actually has a whole list or a playlist among his videos called What Makes This Song Great, yeah. where he will break down songs that you guys are probably familiar with, yeah. very popular secular songs. And he actually um, 
isolates the different parts of mm-hmm. the song mm-hmm. so you can hear individual parts. And he explains why they work so well together and even talks about theory, which you're going to talk about next. So if you need a place to start, check out Rick Beato. What makes this song great? Yeah. Whole series of videos, and that will help you get started. Yeah, that is yeah. really good. Yeah. So uh, finally, listening to music through a music 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 theory mm-hmm. context. All right. So hang on. Try analyzing the music you hear each day through a music theory context. Now that could be a track from your favorite artist, or the theme music. I like this. The theme music to the evening news. <laughs> You ever listen to that? (laughs) (laughs) Western Union. Yeah. Okay. So you know, but that again, that's that's music, and that's Mm -hmm. something that you can that you uh, you may learn from. Um, Listen closely to identifying music theory concepts. Mm. What are we talking about? Well, intervals. Mm. All right. Chord progressions. Song song structures. All right. Um, practicing active listening, you'll be able to identify music theory elements that you'd like to hear in your work. All right. So finally, let's sum this up. Listening critically to music takes a conscious effort. Yep. But you'll get better at it the more you try. All right. Just keep practicing at it. Do this in tandem with, all right, don't just don't stop writing, guys. Keep up a consistent songwriting practice. There's that C word again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll hit that, and that's going to help you write your best music by gaining a broader understanding and appreciation for music in general. And mm. let's go right back to the beginning, guys. It's about getting out of your box. Yeah. It's about getting out of the box, and you are going to... Um, I mean, even even famous songwriters and artists like Barry Manilow, finally, <laughs> all right? You remember every single song of his in the first three or four albums, every single one was pretty much the same style. And I say that half-jokingly, but he had a style. He mm-hmm. really did. But then later on, he got out of that box, and he was he was writing all all different kinds of stuff and recording. So yeah. uh, I'm not saying you have to do write like Barry Manilow, but anyway, <laughs> but it, there is something about getting getting outside your box, learning from from other things. What you know, learning from what you like, learning from what you don't like, and it's going to help you as a songwriter. Yeah, for Amen. sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for yeah. um, sitting in with us again. This is uh, the Artist Impact Podcast, episode 42. Um, we we want you to connect with us if you if you can um, leave a comment below if you're watching this on our YouTube channel which is Notespire Music TV mm-hmm. you can reach out to us directly at info at notespiremusic.com where that's our website info or notespiremusic.com mm-hmm. we're on Facebook we're on Instagram in terms of social media and we also have a 24 seven Internet radio station. Radio station. Paul. Ba- ba- da- notes by your radio. Okay, that's not the jing- <laughs> that's not the jingle. Uh, WNSMDB Notes by your radio guys is on the internet. It's been on for over four years. Uh, you can find it at notespireradio.com. You can also stream it on your phone, your mobile device, by using any of the mobile apps for listening to Internet Radio. Live 365 is probably the primary one, but there are others as well. So please do tune in. And remember, we're always looking for your music. So if you'd like to submit music for the radio station, please use that email, info at notesbyermusic.com. Other two podcasts, we have the Artist Insight, which is interviews, which uh, we'd love to have you if you're in a Christian artist artists with some music that we can talk about maybe you got a new release maybe an ep you're working on maybe christmas music. christmas music yeah get in touch with us we'd love to have you as a as a guest on the artist impact and then it's my honor and pleasure to host the just scott music hour each and every week new episodes out every friday and that's a one-hour show that uh uh, for the most part, just as the music of independent music, uh, independent Christian artists, yeah, and we we put your music on there as well. So, and that podcast is played on is it fifteen different radio? Yeah, we're stations on fifteen now? different radio stations. Yeah, so if you get your music on that podcast, it's it's effectively yes. being shared to fifteen other internet radio stations. So, great way to distribute and promote 
yeah. your music. It's how we help you do what you're called to do. Yeah. yeah. So let's see. And if if you'd like to be a sponsor of any of our podcasts uh, and also part uh, of some of the programming on Notes by our Radio, please do get in touch with us. That's how we can, another way we can help you get your ministry, your music out there to the world is by mentioning you as a sponsor on our podcast and radio station. If you want to know more about that, go to notesbyourmusic.com and click on services and scroll down and you will find it there. Yeah. What else? I think that's it. I think that's it. All right. All right. Well, guys, it's been great. Thank you so much for being yeah, with you. us. Yeah. And we will see you on the next time. We're going to be talking um, about oh, all music. kinds of music and stuff. <laughs> Trivia. How, how about this one? I, yeah, I like this. Um, you know, not everybody can play and sing at the same time, <laughs> especially bass players. That is a tough skill. That's yeah. a tough one. All right. If you are a bass player and you sing at the same time, uh, God bless you. <laughs> there are a few bands that have a lead singer. There that's is a bass player. And but, next time we're going to yeah. talk. We're going to talk about some of the famous ones. And I'm also going to mention. I'm going to give honorable mention to a guy that I played in, in a band with years ago. He was one of the most awesome bass players and had a wonderful singing voice. Uh, and I'm going to tell you all about him cool. as well. So, all right. So until we see you next time, friends, please do take care of yourselves and take care of each other. See you next time. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye bye. The Artist Impact Podcast is a production of Notespire Music, LLC. At Notespire Music, we empower independent Christian musicians to grow their God-given music potential by refining their craft and extending their music ministry reach through mentorship, training, trusted resources, music production, and artist promotion. Notespire Music, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. For more information, visit notespiremusic.com. That's N-O-T-E-S-P-I-R-E-M-U-S-I-C dot com.